I know we've been joined by people from around the world whose cities and countries are at different stages in the struggle against coronavirus. So I want to start by saying my thoughts are with you at this difficult time, all of you. And as always, London stands with you, willing to help in any way that we can. This pandemic is inflicting a heavy toll, creating far-reaching social and economic consequences. This is no ordinary crisis, but a once-in-a-generation upheaval. And like with other pivotal moments in our history, how we choose to respond will define our societies for decades to come. I've lived through major recessions before in particular. I remember the dreadful damage caused by the recession in the UK in the early 1980s. It occurred when I was growing up in public housing in London, and it had a major impact on my community and the whole country. I remember the turmoil inflicted by long-term unemployment, the way the poorest and those from ethnic minority backgrounds were often the worst affected, and how existing inequalities deepened due to government inaction at the time, which led to people being denied opportunities to reach their full potential. As we plan the road to recovery from this recession now, what's right at the forefront of my mind is how we must do everything possible to avoid a return to mass unemployment and the negative ripples that always flow years later. How we must actively work towards building fairer, more inclusive societies where no one is left behind. And vitally, how we can prevent a backward slide in our long battle against gender, racial and wealth inequality. It's absolutely vital that we get this right because the COVID-19 crisis is not only exposing many old inequalities, but massively exacerbating them too. We've seen how those on the lowest incomes and from ethnic minority communities are being disproportionately hit both in terms of health and economic consequences of this pandemic. And we've seen how women are more likely to have had their careers disrupted than men in recent months because they're bearing the brunt of additional childcare and homeschooling responsibilities. You know, the IMF has gone as far as to warn that if left unchecked, 30 years of gains for women's economic opportunities could be erased. We simply can't allow this to happen. In my city, as you've heard, we've established something called the London Recovery Board. This is about bringing people together from all parts of our society, including both the public and private sector, to collectively agree on the action we must take to ensure Londoners are not held back, but instead are supported to thrive in the months and years ahead. I look forward to sharing more details about the plans during the course of this discussion and listening to what other cities are doing around the world. Let me end with this before we begin. 
the discussion. Ultimately, I believe we all have a duty to help create economic recoveries that work for everyone, where neither opportunity nor achievement is limited by gender, race, sexuality, disability, or background. It was Gordon Brown, the former British Chancellor and Prime Minister who said, the good economy and the good society advance together. And now more than ever, we need to dispel the myth that the goals of economic recovery, protecting jobs, supporting businesses, and reducing inequality are somehow in conflict. The truth is they go hand in hand, which is something we must demonstrate now once again, as we seek to create the inclusive, fair, and equal societies that our citizens deserve. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, and thank you very much to Mayor Khan, Anna Gainey, and to the Recovery Project for organizing this incredibly important discussion. Now, I'm delighted today to have with me Mayor Khan, Mayor Laurie Lightfoot, and Baroness Minouche Shafiq, who's the director of LSE. We're going to be talking about COVID recovery in the context of inequalities, not just about productivity, not just about GDP, but in the context of inequalities. Now, the one thing we know about this pandemic is that it's not just a health crisis. It's also a social and economic crisis, as Mayor Khan has told us about. So I'd like to start, first of all, with a couple of questions to both the mayors about, um, about what they're doing in their cities. We know, for instance, that um, while there's been a crumb of comfort that we've all been in this pandemic together, at the same time, we know that we're not in the same boat. We're weathering the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. So I'd be really interested today to hear from all of our panel members, but to begin with from Mayor Khan and Mayor Lightfoot about what they're doing in particular in their cities, London and Chicago. Mayor Khan, would you mind if I started with you to, to ask you, what is it that you're doing in London with an emphasis on inclusion and um, race equality? Uh, uh, thanks, Zubeda. I mean, I think I think in, in Anna's introduction, she talks about, uh, and I talked about in my in my comments, uh, the, the pandemic not simply uh, shining a spotlight on the inequalities in London and in breathing cities across the globe, but actually it's exacerbated uh, some of those inequalities. And so, what we've done in London is, when it comes to both transition, transition means as as uh, lockdown restrictions are eased. So in transition and recovery, how we have a new normal uh, uh, that was alluded to uh, before, how we involve in that decision making people affected by the decisions we make. So I've made sure we include not just different tiers of government, local, regional, central, but also public and private civic society. But in particular, Zaveda, frankly speaking, women, ethnic minorities and others who have really suffered during this uh, pandemic. I'll give you an illustration of the mistakes that are made when decisions are made by uh, one group of people. So when it came to our government, the British government, uh, easing restrictions, uh, the fact that they allowed uh, men's beards to be trimmed 
for not women's uh, eyebrows to be threaded. It may sound like a frivolous point, but it demonstrated who was making the decisions. I'll give you another one. They made available lots of tests for sportsmen to be tested, but no tests for teachers to be tested when they are schools to return. So the key thing we've done, Zabeda, is make sure process involves key parts of London's community, leading to, I think, substantive decisions that are better, uh, that deal with both the transition and recovery, but address some of the inequalities that I know, um, you know, midlife will feel strongly about, as indeed does Minosh as well. And what about you, Mayor Lightfoot? I mean, I'm, we're very interested in what's going on in Chicago, because just as the inequalities were highlighted at the beginning of the pandemic in, in the UK, at the same time, we saw those stark inequalities being amplified in the States. And in particular, in Chicago, where we saw a disproportionate number of black people as well as, well as Latino ex-people being hit very hard by this pandemic and not being hit just health-wise, but also economic and social-wise. So, so could you elaborate a little bit um, about what, what you're doing in Chicago in terms of COVID recovery? Well, I, I'll talk about it in uh, a lot of different frames. Number one is, as you mentioned, uh, we started to see very early on in the pandemic that there was a disproportionate impact on communities of color. Um, we came out um, and announced early on that we were seeing uh, black Chicagoans die at seven times the rate of every other demographic. And one of the things that we did right away is form what we've called a racial equity rapid response team. And we brought together community stakeholders, um, local uh, healthcare providers, um, the trusted voices in the community, both to reach out, to educate and then connect people up with services. <clears throat> We've seen great success in addressing the issue in Black Chicago, but we continue to be challenged in the Latinx community. So we widen the frame of our racial equity rapid response team to make sure that we also were addressing the challenges in our Latinx communities, um, which are geographically uh, concentrated, uh, which in some ways makes it easier, but some ways uh, more complicated. The other things that we've done in general to make sure that we are responding to the economic needs of our residents is right early on, we stood up a $100 million small business resiliency loan fund. That was filling voids that were created by the federal government's programs and particularly making sure that the unbanked, meaning the smaller businesses that didn't have a longstanding relationship uh, with their banks got access to loans to help them support their payroll and the other economic challenges that they were facing. In addition to the unbanked, we also provided access to um, folks regardless of their citizenship status. So our federal government doesn't allow undocumented uh, individuals to get access to government funding. So we filled that void here in Chicago. We stood up a $5 million micro-business grant fund to make sure that we were pushing money into the hands of the very small businesses, businesses that employ four employees or less, to give them support in this difficult time. We stood up a $2 million of housing fund assistance to provide our residents with supports on rent and mortgages. I will tell you, though, the $2 million barely scratched the surface. 
because we were expecting to be able to provide supports for 2,000, we had 87,000 people apply. So the need is obviously great. And we've yeah. continued on since then with a lot of other additional supports. But one last thing that I'll say that I think is important for this conversation is, <clears throat> even though we were still in the throes of responding to COVID-19, we stood up a recovery task force. Sounds like along the lines of what Mayor Khan did in London. We looked at 10 different sectors of our, our, our city, not just our business, but also some social services, community-based organizations, to look at the impacts and then to chart a course forward. And we were the first city in our country to stand up this kind of recovery task force and come out with a blueprint for how we move forward into the future. Now, that's incredibly interesting. And actually, what's, what's great is how both Mayor Khan and yourself, Mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, illustrate how both of you are not just filling, not just filling that gap where government in both of the, uh, in both the UK and the US hasn't stepped in. How importantly you are, you yourselves as mayors are filling that gap, but how you're addressing the inequalities, the economic inequalities, the social inequalities, that investment and bringing bringing people together. Now, I'd like to move on to Dame Shafiq um, and just talk a little bit more about other players, if you like, in, in this field. We know you've, you've highlighted very well how, how politicians, how government have, have stepped in to some extent and fill the economic gap. But Dame Shafiq, I was wondering if you could Sorry, you're a baroness now. I want to, baroness Shafiq. I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about institutions because you're a director of one of the most famous universities in the world, the London School of Economics, Social Science University. So I was wondering, could you tell us a little, little bit more about the role that institutions can play and have played in this pandemic? Yes, I think... It's, uh, there are sort of three broad trends uh, that this pandemic has caused. And I think every institution needs to reflect on what it means for them. Those trends, I think, are a trend toward localization as supply chains are becoming much more local, as uh, companies around the world are realizing the risk of highly integrated global supply chains and the vulnerabilities. I think the second big trend is digitization. We've all learned how much more we can do online. And we've seen that spread really quickly in sectors like finance and telecommunications. But it's now going much more into areas like retail, like education, like healthcare. And the third trend is socialization of risk. I think this crisis will result in many people demanding that more risks are shared more widely in society. We've seen who the most affected are. And some of the research we've done at the LSE, for example, had looked at which of the workers that have been hardest hit by the pandemic. And it's quite clear, it's the young, it's the black and minority ethnic workers, it's the women, and it's the low skilled. They were the first to lose their jobs, they were the first to lose their wages. And there are, there are the response to these three trends of localization, digitization, and the, the demand for socialization of risk can be done in an inclusive way. And I think every institution, whether it be an academic one or a business or a local government, can take a view on those trends, which is a more inclusive one. 
Thank you very much, Baroness Shafiq, because I think you have raised some um, interesting issues around sort of the digitization of of um, working and, and how actually now you have a new way of working and, and working from home and how that has raised challenges in terms of being able to switch off. That has ra certainly raised challenges for us in terms of work-life balance, our mental health, saying no at the end of the day, saying now it's time for my family. But how also in some ways it has raised opportunities um, for women, for instance, in terms of not being able to have to rush around for parents. But I want to talk a little bit more about um, women and also about ethnic minorities. I'm going to combine two, two broad areas, if you like, because the one thing we do know about this pandemic is that, um, as I said at the beginning, while we've all been weathering the same storm, we haven't been in the same boat, and that ethnic minorities and women have been socially, economically and health-wise been hit disproportionately by this pandemic. Now, I want to talk a little bit, start a little bit by talking about women. And I'll start with you, Baroness Shafiq, again. Um, but I want, I would like all of the panel members to answer this question. Um, in terms of the hard-won gains that we've had with gender inequality, what do you think are some of the challenges that the pandemic has raised in terms of gender equality and in, in relation to women? And how do you think we can address this? Yeah, well, I think all the research on gender inequality and the gender pay gap, for example, show that the reason women earn less and are in jobs in which they tend to have advanced less in their career is because they do a disproportionate share of unpaid work. On average in the world, women do about two hours more unpaid work than men. Uh, and in the advanced economies, we'd started to see that trend shifting, that men were doing more unpaid work and women were doing a little bit less. I mean, women were still doing more, varies a lot by country, uh, but the pandemic has reversed that. And uh, women are now finding themselves uh, doing a disproportionate share of the caring uh, roles, be it caring for children or the elderly. Uh, and that has severe consequences for their careers and loss uh, forever. In fact, most women never recover from the income loss that they have from those periods in which they are, uh, they are doing higher levels of unpaid work. Um, I think the answer to that question is to treat childcare as a part of the social infrastructure in a society, just like healthcare is. Uh, and to be able to equalize opportunities. And I don't say this only for equality reasons. I say this for productivity reasons. There's very clear evidence, for example, in the United States that most of the productivity gains that occurred in the US from about the 1950s to about the 1980s and 90s, about 40% of those productivity gains was because you suddenly brought all the talent of women and black people into the labor market. And the top jobs were no longer just dominated by white men. And suddenly you, you were able to use all the talent in society and that resulted in matching people to the right jobs and higher productivity. So this isn't just a politically correct equality speak. This is hard-nosed economics. Yes. And, and I think that's absolutely right. So it, it's a chance for us to look at the economy and think of the economy, as you rightly say, Baroness Shafiq, not just in terms of productivity, not in, just in terms of GDP, but as a caring economy. 
and ask the question about how the economy could be opposed to the other way around. Mayor Khan, you talked quite a lot about your London Recovery Board, the London Transition Board. I was wondering, is gender equality, uh, does, it, does it play a role in that board? How do you see the role, uh, the issues around gender equality in the context of COVID-19 recovery? I mean, it's huge. I mean, I, I mean, as Manoj was speaking, it was, it was, what she was saying was both profound and accurate. But it, that's why my, in my comments at the beginning, I referred to the IMF research, which shows that if we're not careful, 30 years of progress can be erased. Now, all of us on this call have always been frustrated about the lack of urgency. Uh, our first, and we've, we've tried to work hard to get the, the equality agenda addressed quicker. Actually, for the first time in my lifetime, we're talking about going backwards. And it actually coincides with uh, the culture war that uh, Mayor Lightfoot will know more about than I do, but actually we're experiencing in the UK as well. But also the rise of nationalist, populist movements around the globe. And that's why Minosh has given us the economic data, why it's so important. Diversity leads to greater productivity, which leads to greater profit. That should be the last card we use because there's a moral case and a social case why it's so important. So what we've done today is make sure that when it comes to the things I'm responsible for, we look at the impact on women and girls on all our policies. I make sure, uh, yes, you know, I'm a man, but I surround myself with women in top positions, whether it's the deputy mayors, the, the, the business advisory board, uh, whether it's other pieces of work we do and a whole host of uh, issues, the commissioner of the Met Police Service, so I'm really proud, is now a woman for the first time in the history of the Met Police Service and on and on. Because what Minosh was talking about is so important because what will happen is for uh, politically expedient reasons or some would argue economically expedient reasons, it will be reverting to the old norms. And that's why it's so important that we're vigilant. That's why during the course of my comments, I was trying to explain the importance of us progressives around the globe understanding how we respond to this pandemic, this recession is so important. And we've got to make the argument and be on the pitch to make the argument why it's so important. In my country, we're seeing it. Zabay, you're experiencing it with our government. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot seeing it in her elections taking place in a few weeks' time. We've seen it across uh, Europe. And that's why we need a progressive global response with the evidence and data that Minush talked about and I tried to introduce during my comments as well. Thank you. I, and I think that's, that's absolutely right, that, um, that that's the only way that we're going to get women uh, to be part of that mainstream. Mayor Lightfoot, do you think, I'm going to, do you think it's important to have women in the decision-making spectrum, uh, in the decision-making room for COVID-19? Has it been an issue in Chicago and the States that women have not been an integral part of the decision-making around COVID-19? No, women in my administration lead, um, uh, whether it's myself, uh, whether it's our public health commissioner who's um, a female, um, many of the key decision-makers um, and doers on our COVID-19 response are women, and particularly women of color. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's something that's just part of who I am in my DNA. Um, but let me also say a couple of other things I think that address this moment. We have to be very intentional about how we respond to the economic challenges that we are facing. I can remember very um, vividly uh, back in 2008 and 2009, 
when we faced a recession that is uh, similar in scale, but obviously different in cause than what we're experiencing now. And I know at the time I was working um, in a large global law firm and a decision was made just to cut to respond. But we weren't thoughtful about how we did that. And we certainly didn't think about diversity um, as important in that work. And what we happened then when we came out on the other side is we cut into the meat of our diversity efforts. This is a very different economic downturn. Um, and what we're seeing here is it is almost entirely driven by COVID-19 impacts. We will get beyond this. So on the one hand, we are absolutely facing dire economic circumstances, but we don't need to overcorrect because we know that this isn't an economic large-scale structural readjustment. So I think that's one thing that's important. The other thing that I think that is critically important is as we think about how we react to this, and invariably hard choices are going to have to be made, particularly at the city budget level, our revenue streams have been dramatically impacted. But the one thing I've said to my team, and I will not do, is we will not abandon our values. And our values are rooted in equity and inclusion. If we just say that those are niceties that only can be um, embraced in easier times, we will lose the progress that has been made. And I think Mayor Khan is right to really sound the alarm on this issue. The other thing I want to say is this. In the United States, at least, uh, while women have been invited into the workforce, we are being invited into structures that were created by and for the benefit of men. It still doesn't work. Women remain in the United States the primary caretakers of our children. That is a truism. And as we think about restructuring work environments, we've got to think about the realities of, how, of women's lives. And as we remain the primary caretakers of our children, we have to have structures and institutions that reflect that reality. And the last thing I'll say is, we launched a program here in Chicago that we're hoping to build up and scale up nationally. And it's called Your Home is Somebody's Workplace. And we have really uplifted the stories of the care workers. Again, predominantly women and predominantly women of color who are working uh, in very difficult environments, not getting the kind of pay, not having portable benefits. And that weekend, if we're gonna get serious, about making sure that this economy and the recovery is inclusive, we've got to think about the different places where our most vulnerable workers work and how we can improve the quality of their work lives. Thank you very much, Mayor Lightfoot. I think um, that's absolutely right. And this sh we should take this opportunity to look at the economy in terms of a gender equal economy. Now, one thing I'm conscious of is that we haven't talked very much about the aspect of race in, in the context of COVID-19. Now, we know from Chicago, we know from London, we know from the UK, from the US, that there have been a disproportionate number of deaths among black and ethnic minority people in the context of COVID-19. We know from all the research that it's the pre-existing inequalities, racial inequalities, that have been amplified by COVID-19 to the extent that, if you like, the first people and the highest number of people 
who have lost their jobs, who, who have been the first to lose their jobs, have been predominantly from black and ethnic minority backgrounds, as well as, of course, women. And we've got that intersectional inequality where it's BME, BME women who are losing jobs quickly because theirs was the sectors from shutdown. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that and ask you all, and I'd like to start from Baroness Shafiq again, about how do we address the racial inequalities, where can we start to address the racial inequalities that this pandemic has raised? And Baroness Shafiq, I'm just going to say, um, I hope you don't mind because I'm conscious of time and as a chair I've been naughty, I've gone over a little bit. If we could just, if you could give me quick answers, starting with yourself, about how we can address the racial inequalities that have been amplified. Well, the evidence I've seen is that there isn't a genetic reason why black and ethnic minorities are more vulnerable to COVID. It's because of deprivation in general. The fact that they uh, don't have access to healthcare or maybe doing jobs that are more risky, et cetera, et cetera. And so it really goes to the issue of how do you address those conditions, those fundamental economic and social conditions uh, that, is, that is, what's, is what's at stake. I, um, you know, I, I think what we need in the wake of this crisis is a new social contract that uh, addresses those fundamental issues. And that ranges from looking very seriously at uh, precarious work and who is vulnerable. I think one of, the, one of the things of this crisis is we all realized how dependent we are on workers who are on precarious and flexible contracts, many of whom didn't have benefits uh, or sick leave. Uh, and so I think one of the most important things, particularly for uh, for black and ethnic minority workers is to address those underlying inequalities. Many cities have now said, if you're a flexible or gig worker uh, or a self-employed person, you have to have access, you have to have a pension and you have to have sick leave and you have to have access to benefits. And employers can't pretend that you don't work for them and that you're not an employee. Uh, I think it's those kind of issues which address the fundamental conditions of people's lives, which will do the most to, to improve the lot of black and ethnic minority workers. Thank you, Baroness Shafiq. And actually, that's a good point to turn to, Mayor Lightfoot, to you, um, because Baroness Shafiq has highlighted the importance, the fundamental importance of having a welfare safety net for black and ethnic minority people. Black and ethnic minority people in the UK are much more likely to be in poverty than their white counterparts. Do you see um, a safety net as well as issues around housing, uh, housing affordability and insecure jobs also to be an issue or issues um, in Chicago in the US? We see very similar issues and that's why uh, back in February, which seems like another lifetime ago, um, we announced um, a challenge for ourselves to eliminate uh, intergenerational poverty in a generation. We held the first ever poverty summit in our city and we laid bare a lot of the underlying causes. Little did we know that literally mere weeks later, we'd be really seeing some of these issues around poverty flashing like a neon sign as we saw the disproportionate impact on COVID-19. But look, the reality is, and I think the Baroness said it well, if you do not make these investments in communities of color, in uh, communities that have been disenfranchised from investment for generations, 
you will pay. You will just pay in a different way, in a more costly way. And Mayor Khan, I think, said this right. I believe that there's a moral imperative for us to do everything that we can to give people the real opportunity to really um, manifest their God-given talent. But there's an economic imperative as well. Neglect and poverty is not cost-free. And we need to make sure we understand that. Even in this time, we are suffering um, economically. We cannot abandon our values. We've got to make those investments. They are critically important to the future of our city and really our world to uplift people out of poverty. Thank you. Thank you very much, like, uh, Mayor Lightfoot. I think that's absolutely right. Mayor Khan, I'm going to give you a slightly more controversial question because I think we should always end in a bit on a more exciting note, which is, do you think the UK government have done enough to address the racial inequalities that have not only been amplified by COVID-19, but have been exacerbated by COVID-19? And what would you, as mayor of London, to do to address some of those racial inequalities? I know, I'm sorry, I'm conscious of time. So could you give me an answer, a succinct answer, if you like, in, in the next minute or so? The British government has not done enough to address the inequalities that exist. Two big things have happened this summer. The brutal killing of George Floyd, which has led to this Black Lives Matter movement that has uh, shone a spotlight on the racism, inequality, discrimination that black people experience, not just in Minnesota, Minneapolis, not just in America, but around the globe. Uh, and it's really important that us progressives understand the importance of addressing that racism against black people. The second issue is we now know that this pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on black, Asian, minority people. I've asked the, uh, the British Equalities and Human Rights Commission to embark on a statutory investigation into this disproportionality and they've agreed to do one. Why is it that the first doctors who go and treat patients happen to be black, Asian, multi-ethnic and therefore die more? Why is it that the nurses who haven't got the right personal protective equipment are black, Asian, multi-ethnics who lose their lives? Why is it the care workers who lost their lives tend to be disproportionately ethnic minorities? Why those who have zero hours contract uh, those ethnic minorities and so forth? So these are structural inequalities that us progressives have to address. And by the way, by doing so, we build resilience for the future and possible further pandemics. And it's really important that we run with this baton that this uh, this summer has given us the opportunity to do so. Can I end by saying thank you to Mayor Lightfoot and Manoush uh, for the comments they've made. We've been making notes and we'll nick your best ideas then claim them as my own as the event comes next May. Now, thank you very much. I think, I mean, you've been such an excellent panel. You've pretty much covered all of my questions, but I have, I have one very quick um, question that I would like to raise, um, if, if that's okay, before we go on to talk about some ideas pitches. And that is, we've talked quite a lot about what's been happening to people and not enough really about the bottom-up approaches, about what the public want, about how the public are experiencing this pandemic and about their voice. Now, very, very quickly, Starting once again with Baroness Shafiq, what role do you think that people should play in this pandemic? And do you think that voice and engagement are going to be crucial in, in moving ahead in, in, in the recovery period? 
I think one of the things this crisis has shown us is how we can do events like this and consult all around the world and get ideas from all around the world. And I think this gives us an opportunity to do that in local communities far more quickly, far more efficiently, and hopefully hearing some different voices uh, who wouldn't participate in some of the more kind of formal mechanisms for consultation that lots of organizations and governments do. So I think it's an opportunity to do things differently. Mayor Khan. One of the three areas that, that Minish talked about was digitalization. Uh, and I think we have, have run with that. So over the course of the last few weeks, we've been engaging with more than 60,000 Londoners on our Talk London platform to hear from Londoners who really don't come to public meetings, uh, don't come to town hall meetings, aren't otherwise on our radar. And the key thing is to listen to people who aren't like-minded. I think we've lost the habit of uh, being challenged and actually spending time outside the echo chamber and it's really important that we spend more time listening. That's how we engender a sense of buy-in and a sense of ownership of some of the solutions, which I think we need. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mayor Lightfoot, would you like to have the last word? All right. Uh, briefly, uh, there's an expression in the disability rights community that says nothing for us without us. We have to engage our residents. And I think all of us have been challenged to engage in much more creative ways. Uh, we're seeing uh, numbers of engagement that we've never experienced before because people have the opportunity to connect in digitally. Now, it's not, there's still very much a digital divide in my city, um, but we're seeing a level of interest and engagement that is very productive, helpful, and it's gonna help us lead into the next phase of our recovery. Thank you very much, Mayor Khan, Mayor Lightfoot and Baroness Shafiq for your participation. This has been a very exciting discussion and um, you've been a delightful panel and it's been very exciting for me. I mean, I, I do feel I am in the sort of, I am in the, in the company of stars. So um, thank you very much for being a wonderful panel.